Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So glad that you guys are here in house to worship with us today. Those that are joining us online as well. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Just want to remind us once again of why we gather at this place. We're here to inspire people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. People who love God, love the church, and love the world. Those are kind of like the three pillars that we kind of uh, make sure that we keep pushing towards. And that last one, loving the world, is really part of our DNA. We really don't think that we're a church uh, that is called just to be in these walls and kind of huddle up together. We're really called to make a difference in the world around us. And, and part of our passion as a church is church planting. We've planted a number of churches. Our goal is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and I think one of the best best ways that we can do that is by partnering with like-minded ministries. And one of those ministries that we partner with is a ministry called International Cooperating Ministries. It's ICM, ICM icm.org, if you'd like to learn more about it. That particular organization, uh, their vision statement is they want to put a church within walking distance of every person on earth. And I I think that's just a a great vision, a great goal. And so we partner with them in doing that. They make disciples, uh, they train up leaders, they, they give very practical care and service to others around the world as well. And one of the things that they do, they find churches that have a passion for starting churches in local areas, and uh, they, they pair us up, people who want to resource a local congregation, We resource them by helping put up a building, and that church, wherever we put that, they promise then to plant five more daughter churches. And so it's a way of really expanding what we do and multiplying our efforts together. We have five of those churches. Uh, They are in Bangladesh, in Uganda, and then we have three in northern India, and we're kind of working that northern rim of India. And so I got a report a couple weeks ago that I wanted to share with you. A couple of the churches that we have, Kasadbari and Lahanja Hadadar. In Kasadbari, this last year, five people gave their life to Jesus, and in Lahanja Hadadar, six individuals gave their life to Christ. And so we praise God, uh, and they've seen an increase in attendance and membership and those kinds of things. They have yet, in these two churches, to plant their next daughter church, and we're anxious for that to happen. And uh, so what I thought we would do is let's let's pray for those churches, and then let's pray, too, for our, our missionaries that we have around the world. Uh, I don't have time to list all of them. I'd encourage you to go to the website, check out some of their names, pray for them by name. And then we have church plants and pastors and other locations that let's just pray for those individuals. Father, we thank you that you have called us as a church body, not to just look at ourselves, not to just care uh, about what's happening in this room or with this group of people, but really to call us beyond ourselves, outside of these walls, so that we might spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So I just thank you for faithful people who are interested in doing that kind of thing as we partner to just share your good news in other locations, just like the churches in Kasabari and Lahanja Hadadar. Today, I pray, Father, that you would minister to those congregations, that you would use them to make an impact in their local community, And then, Lord, as they begin to start these daughter churches, that their impact would just be exponential. Father, we thank you for all of our missionaries. We thank you for our church plants, those places that we have strategic partners, those areas in which we are doing our best, Father, to partner with what your Spirit is calling us to do so that the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, would go all over this world. Thank you, Father, for this congregation. I thank you for people who have a passion to see your name made great. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. We pray for each person 
person, each country, every community where the good news is being shared today. We ask, Father, that in their faithfulness, what they would find is fruitfulness from your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, that's, that's just our heartbeat. That's, that's what we're about. We really love people in this room, but outside of this room as well. We're in this series called Wide Awake, and uh, it, it's this idea of seizing the moment, carpe diem, that, that we wouldn't let life just simply kind of pass us by, but that we would enjoy and understand this very moment that God has given to us is an important gift that we don't need to overlook, and we need to live this life to the fullest for God's glory. When we got together last week, I said there were some prayers that we could pray, just some real quick prayers that we could lift up to God. We said, God, would you turn when into now? Would you turn those things that I keep thinking, well, my life will be great when I finally get there. Would you change my mind, Lord, and help me to embrace now? Help me to enjoy what you are doing in this moment. God, turn when into now. And then we said, God, turn my good intentions into actions. God, turn my good intentions into godly actions. Rather than just having these these good things that I want to do with my life, rather than just thinking those things, help me put feet to my faith. I want to walk these good intentions out, and I want to live it in action. And then we said the final prayer would be, God, turn my whole heart to Jesus. Turn my whole heart to Jesus. And the reason that we would pray a prayer like that is because we're not really living until we know the author of life. And we have Jesus Christ, who is life, living his life in us. We come into this world, and we come in separated from God because of our sin. And as a result, we're dead, spiritually dead in our sins and our transgressions. But God, in his love, sends his son, Jesus Christ, God himself, God in the flesh, lives a perfect life, teaches us, shows us who God is, did miracles proving that he's God goes to a cross, dies on that cross for our sins, taking on all of the punishment that we deserve. And he died. And then he's placed in a tomb. And three days later, rose to life, showing that he is God. And he is the one who has conquered hell, death, and the grave to offer you and I life, spiritual life. And you don't really begin to live until you have the author of life, Jesus Christ, living in you. And so we want to live wide awake. We don't want to take for granted what God has done putting a soul in this body, putting us on this planet at this time, in the family that we were born in, in the place where we find ourselves right now. God, help us to seize this day. Help us to live wide awake. And if there was a passage that we could go to and say this kind of encapsulates what we're talking about, I think a good one would be Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. There's lots of them, of course, in the Bible, but Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says this, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Today, what I want to do, I want to talk about how would you and I live this mere breath kind of a life and leave a godly legacy? What is it that generations after us, after we're gone, in this split little second that we're here on this side of eternity, what will they say about us? What will they say about you and how you lived? Think about the people that have invested in you, People who have imparted things in you, help kind of shape your character and get you to the place where you're at. People who have influenced you. 
Now you have that opportunity to do that for others. And some of the people that we often think about who have the, the biggest influence on us, I would say, would be our parents. And so, so if I were to say, you know, think about the influence that your parents had on you. Some of you would say, man, that's a positive influence that mom and dad had on me. Others of you might end up saying, well, that really wasn't all that positive from my parents. We have a, we have a responsibility. We are leaving a legacy for our children, for our family members, and they will say something about us. There is a perspective. There is something that we are either investing or detracting in their lives. There's times when, when I'm called to do a funeral, and sometimes I'm called to do funerals for people that I don't know. I may know the family, but I don't know the individual that I'm going to be doing the service for. And so I, I sit down with a family, and we sit in a room sometime before the service, and I say, hey, could you, could you just tell me a, a little bit about this person? Could, could you share with me what, what they're about? Tell me some stories. What, what's their character? And sometimes there's just silence. And the first time that happened, I thought, well, they're just, the family's in shock. But I soon discovered they weren't in shock. They were living by the adage, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. They couldn't pull up anything. That there wasn't a legacy that was left behind that they would say, I, we're really grateful for the way that they have lived their lives around us. And so it, sometimes if I ask people, if I were to ask you, you know, tell me about your parents. Some of you would just kind of light up and you'd be like, oh man, my parents are awesome. They're fantastic. Man, they just, they prayed for us. They loved us. They sacrificed for us. My, my parents, they would pray for me. We would open up the scriptures. They just lovingly guided me through life. But others of you, you wouldn't be able to have that kind of conversation. I mean, you would be nice. You'd be like, well, you know, they, they put a roof over our head. But there wouldn't be a whole lot that you would be able to say. In fact, if I asked some of you, tell me about your dad. Some of you might cringe because you might say, well, I don't, I don't know my birth father. Some of you would have to say, well, he, he walked out long ago. Dad never cared for us. Dad hurt us. There is a legacy, and that's not the kind of legacy that we want to leave behind. We want to leave behind the kind of legacy and character in our lives that others would say, I am so glad God put them in my life. So how can you and I live that kind of life? So today we're going to talk about leaving a godly legacy, and the emphasis here is on godly right? Because people can, they can try to leave a legacy. And I think everybody kind of wants to be known, right? But a lot of people, they just want to be known to be known. Like, I, I want to be famous, right? I want my name in lights. I, I want to be central to things. I just want people to know I was really an important person. But when we think about people who leave a, a legacy that's positive, they've done something kind of altruistic in their life. They've done something beyond themselves. People with a good reputation, they gave themselves away in some way. They invested in others. It wasn't about them. And so today as we talk about leaving a godly legacy, I just want to remind us that, that the emphasis here is godly, not just simply on you. See, one of the challenges when, when I start writing sermons and I start thinking about what, what am I going to share and we go into topical messages, sometimes topical messages can start to lean in the direction of just a whole bunch of self, self-help, right? Kind of like, here, here's some things, three ways to make yourself a little bit better. But that, that's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is, is not that we would be seen, not that we would be central, but that God would be central. And so as we're talking about this legacy, can, can we all just agree that we want to leave a godly 
legacy. So, so if we can just kind of go that direction rather than, hey, spotlight on me and how great of a person I am as, you know, I hope you all really cry a whole bunch when, you know, they put me in the grave. No, I, I just hope that God is glorified by the legacy, the life that he lived through me. So first thing is this, if we're going to leave a godly legacy, we're going to need to say the things that God wants us to say. We're going to want to say to the next generation and to those that we love, those things that are most important, the things that we want them to know. And we need to say it because a whole bunch of people don't say what needs to be said. One great place that I think that we can go to in the Bible to take a look at somebody who would say something uh, that would be meaningful would be this book that's known as, as a wisdom book. It's part of the wisdom literature. Do you know what book I'm thinking about? Proverbs. If we go to the book of Proverbs, what we find there is Solomon, this king, who is imparting wisdom to his son. These are things he would say, I want you to know. I want you to live by. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So here's this dad, Solomon, who's saying, son, my words are life. My words are healing. I want you to take these words and I want them to be applied to your life. And there's just something about that, especially uh, sometimes dads imparting words to their children. I mean, you can think about how much you longed to have that in your own life, to have dad say something to you, to encourage you. I've seen this just, you know, looking and talking with people and, and things that I've read. I read about one counselor who would meet with a whole bunch of people. He had a long career, and somebody asked him, what, what is the most common thing that you saw in your practice? And this counselor said, well, the most common denominator that I found is that when I would meet with people, I would always ask them, do you believe that your dad was proud of you? And he said almost everybody would either say no or I don't know. As a result of that, people go seeking approval, and many times in ways that are harmful. But how sad is it that that we as dads or we as parents who have been entrusted with the stewardship of kids would not tell them every chance that we get how much we love them, how proud we are of them. I I think about this unique encounter that happened with Jesus. He, he, was, he was going to be baptized. It's in Matthew chapter 3. And as he's being baptized, it tells us that heaven was opened up. And God spoke. And he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What's God the Father doing there? He's saying, this is my boy. I love him. I am so proud of you, son. I couldn't be prouder. That is what he's doing in this moment. And our goal as parents, our our goal as spouses would not let any good thought go unspoken. That we wouldn't just simply hold these things in our mind, but that we would take that step uh, and we would say, no, here's what I'm thinking in my mind about how great you are, how much I love you. Here's some encouragement for you. Now, I, I don't know if that kind of thing is difficult for you. If you started to apply this today to begin to speak positive, encouraging words to your children, your spouse, or somebody around you, maybe some of them would look at you funny like, uh-oh, what's wrong with them? 
because that's not normally what they do. Now, typically, this is me. Just confession, I have a hard time with this. And I, I don't know why I'm such a poor encourager, but I, I am. And so I have to be intentional. I have to take the time to think about taking the thoughts that I have that are good and making them words so that others will know. So I've got to keep on the forefront of my mind. I'm to leave a godly legacy, and I can't just keep these thoughts in my mind. I have to let them become words that I say. So maybe that's what you need to apply today in your life, finding this way to intentionally speak good words. Now, it's not just encouraging words that we need. It's meaningful words. We need the words that we are saying and the things that we are imparting to our children, to our loved ones, to those that we love, to be meaningful words, to say what's most important. And a little maybe thing that you can do, a homework exercise, is just imagine you've got one month to live. You have one month to live, and you have a family member or someone that you love, and you have one last conversation. How, what would you say? What, if, if you were to say to them, above all else, here's what I want you to know. I'm, I'm going to die. This is our final conversation, and this is the most important thing I can say to you. What would you say to them? And I started thinking about that. What, what would I say? What, if I knew I was going to die tomorrow, and I'm having my last conversation with my daughter, Shelby. What would I tell her? I started thinking I'd probably tell her what many of you would tell your own children. I'd say, sugar, <laughs> call her sugar, I love you. I'm going to be going to heaven because of Christ. And I want you to be there with me. And I just simply want to remind you that you're not going to get there on the coattails of my faith. You're only going to get there because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your faith must become your own. Fall deeply in love with Jesus. Die to yourself day after day. Make Jesus great. Make him primary. There is nothing else in this life that will satisfy your soul or bring you peace like my friend Jesus. I started thinking, okay, what would I tell the congregation? Like, this is it. This is the last message. This is the last thing I'm going to say. What would I tell you? I think I would tell this congregation, I love you. I have good thoughts about you. And what God has in mind for this, this body built on Jesus Christ, not personality, but on Christ and his word. And I want to remind you, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's not about your preference. It's not whether or not they sang enough hymns or you, you got what you wanted in the moment. It is all about God. It is all about us coming together and giving glory to the one and only, the maker of our souls, the one who has redeemed us. And if you will continue to seek him with all of your heart, if you will be wholehearted, dying to yourself and living for Christ, there is nothing that will stop you you as a congregation will leave a godly legacy and there will be myriads of people in heaven because you died to yourself and you lived for Christ. You did not make this about you. If we're going to leave a godly legacy, friends, we have to say the words that need to be said. Second thing is this, leaving a godly legacy. We're going to want to do what God wants us to do. Do what God wants us to do. This is the way Paul put it 
in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He wrote this. He said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. That's some spiritual maturity right there. I, I'm, I'm not looking for my preference, Paul would say. I'm not looking for accolades. I'm not just simply looking out for myself in this moment. My life isn't really worth a hill of beans. Does it have any value? It's not precious to me. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says the task is testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In other words, there there is nothing else more important than just me simply saying and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. If there's any task that is left, it is this one. I want to keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And that task, it's never really done. Like Paul's not going to reach a finish line and come to this place like, well, I'm done. He's going to have to die and then kind of move on into heaven because as long as there's one soul on this planet that does not yet know that Jesus Christ is Lord, has died for their sins, rose from the grave, is coming back, as long as there's one person who has not received him as Lord and Savior, the task of testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ, never done, right? It's like undone. But what is it in your life that God has called you to do that may be undone. What, what step do you need to take to continue to do what God wants you to do? Now, for some of you, it might be something big. It might be something like your job. You might say, well, I'm just, I'm just collecting a paycheck at my job. I'm just doing time there. It's not what I love. It's not, it, there, there's something else in me. There's these passions, these gifts, these, these abilities, and I, I believe that God's calling me to something else, and yet you haven't taken that step of faith. For some of you, maybe it's relational. There's somebody that you love, but the relationship is strained and you haven't done anything about it yet. Maybe there's somebody who's hurting and God's placed them on your heart and on your mind and you've been feeling you need to do something, you need to say something, but you just haven't done it. Maybe for some of you, there's there's a need that's out there and you've got the resources to meet that need, but you just haven't done it. Maybe it's something that's spiritual. You're feeling God calling you to, to invest in your family, in, in the spiritual, eternal things, to, to open up God's word, to begin to have prayer time together, to begin to, to call one another higher in their relationship with the Lord. Maybe he's calling you to disciple somebody else, that you would go and you would share just what God has poured into your heart and find somebody else and say, hey, can we just open God's word? Can I share what he's done in my life? Can we spend some time together and let's kind of sharpen one another? Maybe he's calling you to go to your workplace and you just sense and know, man, I'm supposed to share my faith, my testimony, this good thing that God has done in my life, but you've not yet done it. What good thing do you know that you need to do that you have not yet done? If we're, gonna, if we're actually going to live this life wide awake, if we're really going to seize every single moment, then we need to say what needs to be said and we need to do what needs to be done. And the third and final thing is this, leaving a godly legacy, we need to live how God wants us to live. Live how God wants us to live. Quite frankly, not many people are living how God wants them to live. Most people are not. And the reason that I can say that in this world, most people are not living how God wants them to live is because he describes to us and tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction. And there's a lot of people on that path. But narrow is the road that leads to God. There are fewer people on that path. Most people aren't living how God wants them to live. They live how they want to live. 
Life is all about them. They're central. It's almost as if there is a a throne in their life. They sit on that throne and everybody else, God himself, revolve around them. The story of this life, all about them. Very few people are obedient to God and to his word. They want to live by their preferences. They want to live by the way that they will most feel good. Many people are not obedient to God. They don't want to be transformed inwardly by his spirit. They just simply want to keep doing what's going to make them feel good and what is best in their mind at the moment. These are the folks, again, when I, when I sit down and I'm talking with family members and I may not know the individual and I'm, I'm just saying, hey, could you, could you just let me know what they're like and tell me, tell me about their character. What are they about? Tell me about their spiritual life. And then there's just this silence. And we're sitting in the room, and somebody eventually says, you like spicy food? (laughs) Tell me about her. She had a garden. More awkward silence. Tell me about her. Oh, she, she loved to cook. Great cook. In fact, she's probably on a cloud right now cooking somewhere. I can tell you how many services, funeral services I do, and I'm thinking, how am I going to make this about cooking? How am I going to make this about just, like the person was consumed with a hobby or themselves, and they had no interest in their family. They had no interest in the things of God. Tell me about their spiritual life. Well, I think we have a family Bible somewhere. Uninterested. This is what scripture says. It says this in James 1.22. But be doers. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Well, what is it that God calls us to do? We've got to read it. And when you read it, you're going to find out, well, he's calling us to love. He's calling us to forgive. He's calling us to serve. He's calling us to be like Christ, that the life of Christ would be lived out through us. That we would... Feed those who are hungry, that we clothe those who are naked, that we would give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That's the important part, in Jesus' name. Like I'm going to clothe people, feed people cold water, not so I can pat myself on the back and say, hey, look at me, aren't I virtuous? Look at the kind of legacy I'm living. No, I do this in Jesus' name because I have this relationship with him. And when I have a relationship with him, he's now living his life through me. The spirit of the living God is in us and he brings with him this fruit of the spirit and what begins to happen in our lives we're filled with these things like love. Love. And we would be filled with gentleness that we would be filled with this patience that we would be filled with kindness that we'd be filled with self-control. All of these characteristics of the spirit of God living in us and when that happens other people around us our family members even people in the world they're like that person is different. That's different. Everybody else I see in this world, they keep living for themselves. Everybody else is into their hobbies. Everybody else is to how big can my bank account get? You know, how far can I climb a ladder? What kind of title can I get to my name? But no, that person, they are different. They are looking different than the rest of this world. What begins to happen is we have Christ in us, and then we start loving like Jesus. And we begin to love just like him, where you know, we are patient, and we're kind, and we don't envy, and we don't boast, and we're not arrogant, we're not rude, we're not self-seeking, we're not easily angered, we're not delighted in evil, we are uh, rejoicing in the truth. 
Like we just, we just want holiness. We want truth. We want to embody these things, which is Jesus Christ. And he's transforming us from the inside out. And now we're not living out of our own strength. Now we're not living trying to create our own legacy, trying to be a good boy, trying to be a good girl. But the life of Christ in us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, now we just simply live his life. We yield to him and people are impacted. And people that begin to come to Christ and know him as Lord and Savior. Because his life was never about us. It's always been about him and the story that he is unfolding for his own glory and his own grace. We have to live for him. This is what it says in 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You might say, well, what's the will of God? Well, the will of God is that you would know his son, Jesus Christ, that you would do as he says when he shows up on this scene. He says, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ comes and says, I, I am the way to the Father. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. All things were made by him and through him and for him. And we are called to live for him, him living his life through us. And this time that we have, this world, it says, is passing away. Like the time that we have here, brief. It's just like that, just a snap. And I know for the young people, you're like, no, no, I got plenty of time. You don't. Everybody here who's a little bit older, we're like, no, this thing is speeding up and we are a breath. And one day, when this life has ended, when your lungs stop filling with air and your heartbeat stops on this side of heaven, it's not the end. Heaven awaits every single person who has given their life to Jesus Christ, who has received him, put their faith in him, trust him for their salvation. Then we get to be in heaven. And I just want you to imagine for a moment as we're talking about leaving a godly legacy, what would it be like if when you are in heaven, there's like a line of people, you've got great, great, great grandchildren that line up to talk to you. (laughs) Some of us in this room aren't going to have physical grandchildren, but I pray to God that we have spiritual grandchildren. People that would walk up and they would say, my life is different because of the way you lived. Because of the way that you prayed. Because of what you lived for and who you lived for. I'm here. And let's get this straight. I'm not here to pat you on the back and say how great you are because we're in heaven and we're looking at Jesus and we're all going, didn't he do great work through you for his glory? And then we just rejoice. Are you kidding me? We get to experience the grace of God and we get to be here. He's lifted his wrath off of us and we get to live in his love forever. What is that moment going to be like for us? But you have to live the way that God wants you to live. You have to live in a relationship with him. You have to live with him leading you, guiding you. And here's the difference. You, You need to live by the convictions and the commands of Christ, not by personal preferences. You must live by the convictions and the commands of Christ, not by personal preference. And the thing is, most people are living by personal preference. This is what I think. This is what I feel. I'm not interested in this word. I think I'll create my own little God in the way that things should be done. I'm not interested in submitting. I'm interested in me. They live by personal preference. Now, we have some good personal preferences. Like, I prefer to be generous until I see the new car. 
I prefer to live one way, but I'm living another. I, I, I prefer to go to church. But the new sports season starts. Yeah, you know. I, I prefer to tithe until things get tight. I, I prefer family time. Like I, I really long and want our family to be together, to spend time together. But I got, you know, I got to meet the guys, and my wife has a meeting, and the kids got soccer and dance and ballet and piano, and we never really eat together, and we spend weeks without spending any quality time with one another. I prefer to be humble and loving and kind and serving, but deep down, I got to look out for number one. I would just say, look, if at the end of this one brief life you've got, you want people saying, you like spicy food. Live by your preferences. You should see their seashell collection. (laughs) She had a garden. Oh, he loved cars. He loved that car more than he loved us. Just live by your personal preferences. But if one day you decide that you're going to live a godly life and leave a godly legacy, say. Say the things that God wants you to say. Do the things that God wants you to do. Live how God wants you to live. This is what Paul said to his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul Paul, as far as we know, no kids, no grandkids, just spiritual children. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. That might sound a little funny, but what Paul's saying is, I'm dying. I'm coming to the end of my life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I started thinking about uh, that phrase there, I've, I've finished the race. Today, uh, the Tokyo Olympic Games, they end. But for us, our race never ends. Not, not on this side of heaven. There's, there's a finish line for us. But that finish line is in eternity. And one day we will cross that line. But while God has breathed life into these lungs... And given you and I a heartbeat and a soul that he has longed to redeem so that we might live wide awake. We need to live it, saying the things that need to be said, doing the things that need to be done, and living the way that God has called us to live. Let's pray. Father, would you please remind each and every one of us how brief this life is. Help us to live like life is brief. Help us to seize this moment, to live wide awake. I just want to encourage you for this moment, in this silence, to talk to God. Just you and him. Your heart, his heart, your mind, his mind. It's going to be kind of awkward in the silence. It might be awkward if you're watching online. But I think your soul could use some silence.
I just want to ask you, how's your heart? How's your relationship with your creator? Some of you might say, I've not really been living the kind of life that we've talked about here today. For some of you, that may be because you have yet to meet the author of life. You have yet to know Jesus Christ as your life. Again, when we come into this world, we're dead. We're dead spiritually. But because of God's great love for you, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that one day at a moment of time, you would realize that he has come for you and you have a father who would say to you, I love you, I am proud of you, you are mine. And the way that happens is when you turn to Christ, when you turn from your sin, you repent of that and you receive Christ, trusting in him, believing in him, knowing that God in his love sent his son to live perfectly, to do these miracles, to prove that he is God, to go to a cross and take on all of your sin, everything that you have ever done wrong, placed on him in the past, so that you might receive forgiveness. Jesus died on that cross, bearing your sin, bearing my sin. He was placed in a grave, absolutely dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, alive, proving that he is God, conquering hell, death, and the grave, so that one day you and I get to live eternally with him because he has breathed life into our souls as we make him central. We make him Lord. He is our Savior. I would just say, if you have never, ever done that before, this is a moment for you to begin to embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior. It happens with a yes, and it can happen with a prayer like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. There's times, Lord, I don't feel worthy of your love. But I thank you. And out of your deep love, you allowed your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I pray that you would extend that grace to me, that you would extend your love and that you would cleanse me of my sin. I thank you that he rose from the grave, giving me life, life now and then life eternally. Would you breathe into my soul? Would you make my soul wide awake? I live for you. My life is yours. Every day is yours. Father, I belong to you. I would just say, if you prayed a prayer like that, with everybody's head bowed and eyes shut, maybe there's something that began to happen in your heart, in your soul today, and you said, I I prayed that prayer. I want to pray for you, but I need to know who you are. If you prayed a prayer like that, would you just lift your hand right now, just bravely? You said yes to the Lord today. I see your hand over here on my right. Several hands on my right. God bless you. I just want to pray for you. Anybody else? You prayed that prayer. You're like, today's different. Today, I think I got it. God was speaking to me. He's changed my heart. Something has awakened in me. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for every single person who's kind of stepped across this this threshold today, inviting you, Lord, to take over their lives completely and wholly. 
And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us when we receive your Son, Jesus Christ, and we can have the fruit of the Spirit, that we can begin to walk in faith toward you. And we just recognize we don't have all of the answers, and for individuals who have said yes to you, there may be lots of questions, but Lord, we know that you exist, that you love us, that you have called out to us. And Lord, so I pray for each person as they walk with you, that you would lead them, that you would guide them, that your good pleasure, your love would be extended to them, that as they open up your word, it would come alive. Lord, as they begin to plug into the life of your body, the church, that they would find great joy in walking this out and encouragement from other brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for decisions that are made today for you calling out to your chosen ones. Thank you, Father, for loving your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we thank God for lives that were changed and transformed? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillerode.cc. God bless you.